Hey everyone, I hope you've been able to get outside this week. What an amazing start to the month of March. Let's take a look at what's coming up at Eagle Brook Church. I love spring, when the grass starts to get green and new life grows out of the grayness. Well, in a few weeks, we'll be celebrating how Jesus brought new life into the world through his resurrection. Easter services at Eagle Brook are April 3rd through the 5th, so plan to join us and invite your friends. There are so many services to choose from. Just head to eaglebrookchurch.com for locations and service times. And if you're a regular Eagle Brooker, please let us know when you're coming to church this Easter so we can be sure there are enough seats for everyone. It's super easy to RSVP at eaglebrookchurch.com. What have you found at church? Wisdom, friendship, acceptance, in the presence of Jesus' incredible love, maybe you found all these things and more. So we've got a challenge for you. Tell someone. At the end of today's service, we'll be handing out these cards. Write down what you found at church and then take a selfie and post it online. You can hand one to a friend or a coworker or even someone you've just met. If they see what you've found at Eagle Brook, maybe they'll find it here too. And get this, if you share on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram using the hashtag FoundAtChurch, your post will show up on FoundAtChurch.com, a new website we created for sharing stories of transformation, along with invitations to our Easter services. So tell your story. Let people know what you found at church. During the Unstoppable series, we're learning about how the church that began in Acts is still unstoppable today. We've been road tripping to each EBC location and discovering how each one is an important part of the church as a whole. We've been to four so far, and we have two more to go. To check out all the road trip videos, head to our Facebook page. Now it's time for today's message. John Alexander is continuing our study of the Book of Acts in the series Unstoppable. Well, hey everyone, welcome to Eagle Brook Church. Welcome to those of you joining us online. My name's John, I'm one of the pastors here. And almost every week of this series, Bob or Jason have kicked things off by offering some encouragement about the winter or Kevin Garnett. While you don't need any encouragement at this point, it's quite glorious out and has been, I do want to say this. Major League Baseball's opening day is three weeks away. All will be made right in the world soon. Can I get an amen to that? (laughs) Anyways, we are continuing our series today called Unstoppable based on the book of Acts. As we've been going through this series, I've read through Acts myself. I've been listening to and trying to apply the messages to my own life. And while I don't have any superpowers, I've been finding myself feeling a bit unstoppable. Because if the people who made up the early church spoke with truth, confessed their sins on a regular basis, made some bold moves, and plugged into the power made available to us by the Holy Spirit, then we can too. That's why this little band of Jesus followers has become an unstoppable movement of 2 billion people almost 2,000 years later. Not because it's all been smooth sailing or perfect, in fact, far from it. Instead, it's because no matter how many times the church has been knocked down, the church, through the power of Jesus Christ, has been filled with a people who may get knocked down, but manage to get back up again. That's why today's message is titled, Down, But Not Out. Many of you know I grew up in the state of Washington, so I love the Seattle Seahawks. Before you start rolling your eyes, listen, I love Minnesota. Minnesota is my home. I even went to the state high school hockey tournament last week, okay? I'm Minnesotan now through and through. But when it comes to the NFL, it's been hard to jump ship when the new home team isn't uh, isn't great. Um, So late January... The Seattle Seahawks were playing the Green Bay Packers in the NFC Championship. And for those who were watching the game, you know, 
the Packers were dominating. Aaron Rodgers was discount double checking all over the place. It was total annihilation. Well, my brother and our families were watching on TV here in Minnesota, but my dad and my brother-in-law were actually at the game in Seattle. With about four minutes to go and the Seahawks down more than two scores, our quarterback, Russell Wilson, threw an interception. So I turned to my wife, Emily, and I said, let's pack up and get ready to head home. And my dad texted me and said they had left the stadium and left the game because it was over. Now, statistical analysts have calculated that the Seahawks had a less than 1% chance of winning the game at this point. You already know what happens. I mean, how do you expect me not to talk about this? You Packers fans still have nightmares about it. Vince Lombardi won't let you sleep, you know? And you Vikings fans, you remember this game because it makes you feel all tingly inside. The only thing better than the Vikings winning is the Packers not winning. So through a miraculous set of circumstances, the Seahawks came from behind and won the NFC Championship in overtime. And of course, our family just went crazy in celebration. But get this, my dad and my brother-in-law missed the end of the most epic comeback in Seattle sports history. They would not let them back in the stadium. They had to leave. No faith, right? Now, I don't want to talk about the Super Bowl other than say, now that the Seahawks have recently lost the Super Bowl, I can relate much easier to Vikings fans, all right? And yes, they should have run the ball. Uh, my point is this. My point is this. The Seahawks were down, but clearly not out. I mean, we're drawn to stories of teams or people who get knocked down to the brink and somehow, against all odds, stand back up again. What if we could do that with matters of faith? I mean, don't you wonder how some people get knocked down to the brink and yet somehow by faith stand back up again? I do. I'm amazed at the people who receive some devastating news and yet somehow are able to express gratitude and hope and faith in the midst of it. Recently, I received a thank you card from a couple for speaking at their small group. The husband had just been diagnosed with prostate cancer and was having surgery that same week. And I knew this when I opened the card, so I turned to Emily as I opened it and said, how? How do we become people like this? People who are able to rise above one of the most down moments of their lives. And you know, so many of us, I, I know, just, just we aren't there, we're down. Some of you feel like you have less than a 1% chance of surviving another day at work, another day faced with crippling anxiety over your future. Another day in your job, another day at school, another day in that relationship. You're just down. I hear it every week. And so many of us have resolved that this is just how life is going to be. There's nothing you can do to change your circumstances. And even if you don't feel way down, some of us have just been knocked down a little bit and you feel like you've got no resolve and you're not able to overcome. Life is just down, and so your only option is to run, quit, give up, or get out. Or is it? Because on one hand, you might feel like this is just how life is going to be, but on the other hand, you know people who manage to get back up again, people who are able to never be completely out, people who remain steadfast and faithful, filled with this unexplainable gratitude and hope, despite facing a less than 1% chance. People who are down 
never out. See, I want you, I want us to be a people who may get knocked down but manage to get back up again. As I was preparing this message, I saw a news story how on the same day, Kevin Durant, an NBA star, sat out a game because of a sprained toe. Well, on the same day, Zach Parisi, our Minnesota Wild star, got hit in the face with a puck, picked up his teeth off the ice, and kept playing. I want us to be a people, metaphorically speaking, who get hit in the face with a puck, pick up our teeth off the ice, and keep playing. So how do we become people with a down but not out faith? Well, today we're going to look at Acts chapter 14. Last week, Bob taught on Acts chapter 9, so we're skipping ahead a few chapters. But to recap, Saul has experienced this incredible transformation and conversion. From someone who literally tried to stamp out Christianity to someone who has been transformed by the power of Christ. So he becomes Paul as we know him today, a bold and powerful preacher preaching to both Jew and Gentile alike, responsible for spreading the message of Jesus more than any person in history. After his conversion, up until chapter 14, things are going pretty well for him. Luke, the author of Acts, writes how the word of God spread. Hundreds of people had become believers. There were miracles and healings, and large crowds had shown up to hear the gospel, the good news about the one, Jesus who had been resurrected from the dead. Other than a few people threatening to kill Paul, things were going relatively well, but then we arrive in chapter 14, and Paul, Paul and Barnabas arrive in the city called Iconium. It says this, Paul and Barnabas went to the Jewish synagogue there in Iconium and preached with such power that a great number of both Jews and Greeks became believers. So like before, things were initially going well, but a few verses later, then a mob of Gentiles and Jews along with their leaders, decided to attack and stone them. Now, I don't want to pass by this too quickly, because have you ever been hit with a rock or a stone? I haven't. I've thrown a few at my brother, but have you ever been hit by 10 or 20 of them? I mean, can you imagine the blood, the gashes, the pain, the humiliation? I mean, these crowds didn't want to just run them out of town. They wanted to kill them. The message of Jesus was a threat to those who didn't believe that the Savior and Messiah had come. It was a threat to the political and religious establishments of the day. So this crowd was not happy. Paul and Barnabas fled Iconium to a town called Lystra, about 20 miles away, where Paul began preaching there. And as he's preaching in Lystra, a man born with crippled feet who'd never walked before heard this message that Paul was preaching and wanted to be healed. And Paul, as sometimes miraculously happens, heals him. The man starts walking. And this throws the crowd into a frenzy. They begin thinking that Paul and Barnabas were gods themselves. They became overnight internet, YouTube sensations, complete with a paparazzi following. The crowd starts worshiping Paul and Barnabas. But Paul and Barnabas would have none of it because see their response here They said, we're merely human beings just like you. We have come to bring you the good news that you should turn from these worthless things and turn to the living God who made heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. In other words, we aren't special. We're just being obedient to God. You know, it's 
It's so tempting for us when we receive something good or something powerful or when we receive a blessing, it's so tempting for us to say, look at me. Look how awesome I am. I mean, don't I deserve this? But like Paul, God wants us to say, look at what God is doing. When 1,231 people get baptized in one weekend at this church, I can promise you, we just shake our heads and say, look at what God is doing. We're just being obedient. Go along in the story, some of the crowd from Iconium who'd angrily thrown rocks at Paul and Barnabas there walked those 20 miles to Lystra, brought their rocks with them, and then got the crowd turned against Paul and Barnabas there. And in Lystra, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of town, thinking he was dead. This is really one of the crucible moments in Paul's life. He actually mentions this two other times in letters that he wrote. Because can you imagine the stones flying at you from all angles? Paul cowering in the corner thinking to himself, this is it. This is when I'm going to die. Probably knocked unconscious, drugged through the town by his hair, and left to die. Down and out. You know, and it got me thinking. Life can go from good to bad in an instant, can it? Because these guys were rock stars, and in the very next instance, they are getting hit by rocks, blindsided, knocked down to their knees in an instant, out of nowhere. Have you ever been there? You know, it's, it's the diagnosis. A stone. Didn't see that coming. It's the rejection from grad school. Another rock, blindsided. It's the son or daughter who has totally abandoned their relationship with God. It's the job layoff. It's the boyfriend you thought was the one but just broke up with you. A stone out of nowhere. Stone after stone after stone. Just blindsided. Every single person has been hit with a rock or will be at some point. But I want you to see Paul's response because the very next verse as the believers gathered around him, he got up and went back into the town, the town where he'd been almost killed. The next day, he left with Barnabas for Derby. Almost down. Almost dead. And he gets up. Oh, why didn't he just throw in the towel at this point? You know, how does he manage to get back up again? Well, that's what we're going to look at today. Because no matter who you are or wherever you're at in life or faith, by looking at Acts chapter 14 and the life of Paul, there are a few ways that we can develop a down but not out faith. And the first, if you're taking notes, is this. Expect and endure the knockdowns. You know, the early church and the writers of the New Testament really saw no contradiction between a good, faithful God on one hand and a few knockdowns. That's because they all expected to get knocked down. Peter, Paul, James, John, Luke, Jesus, all of them expected to experience suffering. Not only that, they promised that those who choose to follow Christ will get knocked down as well. That's because Jesus said this, here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. Doesn't say here on earth you might have many trials and sorrows. You probably, it says you will. You know, so often we get caught up in the where is God when I'm suffering question. And it's a very legitimate question. 
But the writers of the New Testament reconciled these ideas that that God is good and faithful, and yet they're still going to suffer. That's because Jesus taught them to expect it. But Jesus also taught them that they could expect to endure it because see the last part of this sentence, Jesus says, but take heart because I have overcome the world. See, Paul may have been beat up and knocked down, but he just believed with every fiber of his being that no matter what the world could throw at him, he had the ability to overcome it because Christ had overcome the world. God would be present with him in that suffering and would help him endure. Recently, I had the chance to hear the story of someone who experienced some knockdowns on a very practical level. I want to show you the story of Dean Hager, a longtime faithful attender of Eagle Brook, a good friend of ours, who got knocked down on a very practical level, but had the ability to endure. So take a look at his story. I started triathlon training about 15 years ago, uh, shortly after my family followed me into the sport. All five of us have competed in triathlons for over a decade. Last spring, I uh, decided to do something that I had never done before, and that is the toughest triathlon of all, which is called an Ironman. It's a 2.4 mile swim, followed by a 112 mile bike ride, and then you finish with a marathon, which is a 26.2 mile run. Doing an Ironman was on my bucket list. I had always wanted to do one, but I didn't know if I was capable. I signed up for the Madison, Wisconsin Ironman race, uh, scheduled in September, and I began my six-month rigorous training plan that included 10 workouts a week for 24 weeks. My training was going pretty well. I was starting to get a lot of confidence thinking that I could actually do this. I had done 190 consecutive workouts, hadn't missed a one. One morning I was out and I was riding my bike along the road at about 25 miles an hour and a car turned right in front of me and we hit each other head on. The EMTs came, loaded me up in the ambulance and we were rushed to the hospital where I was x-rayed and very, very fortunate that I didn't have any broken bones but a lot of soft tissue damage, a lot of bruising, a lot of torn ligaments and muscles and I was unable to walk at all and I realized that not only was my training stopping, but this race that I had as a goal for the last 15 years of my life also wasn't gonna happen. We've all been knocked down in life before, and this was only a race, it wasn't that big a deal, but yet it was something that I was all in every day for, at this time, five months. I had pretty much put the rest of my life on hold to do nothing but train for this race. So it was actually devastating to me. Several days after the accident, I got up early and I was just reading the Bible and it just hit me that while I was so depressed over my pain and not being able to complete my plan, that I had completely forgot to celebrate the fact that I was alive. I realized how often we have a plan in life and we get frustrated that the plan isn't going exactly how we'd want it. And we forget the everyday blessings in our lives and we forget to recognize that God might have a plan for us that's different than ours. And that was a turning point for me. I had put so much time in training for a race, I still really wanted to do one, or I probably never would. 
So I just made the decision, go through rehab and have it go right back into training again and just attempt to find another race that I could get into. It took me a month before I could get back into my full training plan, but still every single training session came with a lot of pain. I was fortunate that Ironman Corporation transferred my registration from Wisconsin to another race. On November 1st, we were gonna do Ironman Florida. And on the morning of the race, I was standing on the beach in high winds and unusual cold. And moments before they shot the gun to start the race, they came over the microphone and said, for the first time in the history of the race, they were gonna to have to cancel the swim because the winds and the rip tides were simply too dangerous. It sounds silly, but I was again, devastated. I had now had eight months of training in. I had gotten hit by a car. I had flown my entire family to Florida. They said they would still give us credit for the Ironman for completing the bike and run, but I would always know. After the race, we were in the airport all ready to fly home together. And I was just sitting there by myself and my oldest daughter came up to me and kneeled next to me and she said, Dad, this is always gonna haunt you. You're too invested. Let's find another race. Uh, so we went online immediately and we found that there were only two open Ironman races in the entire world yet in 2014. Ironman Cozumel, Mexico and Ironman Australia. And Cozumel, Mexico was closer. And I looked up at my family and I said, if we do this, it means the spring break vacation we were planning is not gonna happen. So we have to all want this. And we all signed up and then I went online and I signed up. When I crossed the finish line, it was one of the greatest feelings that I've ever had. Not only because I had finished the event of that day, but when I thought back on the prior eight months and everything that went into crossing that finish line, and when I heard my family in the background screaming as they do, it was, one of the best moments that I've ever experienced. When we get knocked down in life, it can be the end of whatever journey we're on. Or if we stay in the race, it can be the beginning of when the journey gets really good. Yeah, before you give up, before you quit, before you hit the eject button, God is up to something. It might just be the beginning of that journey, as hard as it is to see, but it'll all be worth it when you cross that finish line. Peter, one of Jesus' 12 disciples, writes this. He says, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through, as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering, so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. You know, one of the illustrations that the writers of the New Testament often used to describe suffering was that of fire. That's why I have this up here with me. This is a kiln, and a kiln gets really hot. So when you put substances into this kiln, the heat and the fire tries to destroy that substance. Paper turns to ash. Sand turns to glass. My hand would turn to not something too pretty. But when you put gold into a kiln... The heat tries to destroy the gold, but instead what happens is the impurities are drawn out out of the gold, drawn out, burned off, and eventually the gold becomes more refined, more pure, and stronger. 
Similarly, when our lives go into the fire, when our lives go into the kiln, when our lives go into suffering, the impurities go in along with the gold. You know, we have faith when we initially enter suffering. But we're also filled with things like impurities like being cowardly and weak and powerless, filled with self-pity and questions of God's goodness. And as the fire and the heat rages on, we start to see what we're truly made of because these impurities are drawn out in our lives. And it's the response that matters most at this point. It's not the fact that we're in the fire. It's not the fact that we are suffering that's going to make us stronger. It's our response. Because if we're willing to patiently endure the fire and the heat, eventually these impurities will be drawn out burned off and will come out stronger and more refined than ever before. It's not easy to endure the fire, but God promises to be there with us. But we've got to let the fire finish its work. King David writes this in Psalm 27, I am confident that I will see the Lord's goodness while I'm here in the land of the living. So wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. Are you willing to wait patiently? A faith that inspires is a faith that has endured the fire. But you've gotta let the fire finish its work. So the first way to develop a down but not out faith, expect and endure. The second way is this, find a Barnabas. You know, an often overlooked aspect of Paul's life is that he frequently brought along a traveling companion or a group of people with him to help support him. And in this journey, it was Barnabas. In Acts chapter 4, we're told that Barnabas was so generous and committed to the cause and mission of Christ that he sold a field he owned and gave all the money to the church. In Acts chapter 9, when, when Paul was trying to convince the Christians in Jerusalem that he wasn't the same murderous Saul they thought he was, that he had met Christ and been transformed by him, it was Barnabas who had the courage to, to meet with him and later vouch for his transformation. And then in Acts 11, Luke writes this about Barnabas. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith. Barnabas, whose name literally means encourager, was one of the primary reasons that Paul was able to accomplish what he did. Because when Paul didn't think he could preach another word, take another step, engage in another theological debate, pray another prayer, who do you think was by his side saying, you got this? You're doing a great job. Come on, get back up again. God needs you. It was Barnabas. For the last three years, Emily and I have been a part of a small group at Eaglebrook. Three years ago, we were six couples, 12 adults, three kids. Today, three years later, we're six couples, 12 adults, now with 13 kids plus two more in the womb. So all 15 of these kids will be under the age of five. Every week we have small group, a new kid seems to show up and we're like... Where'd you come from? <laughs> we are actually getting taken over and dominated by our kids. When we gather, it's a Lord of the Flies situation. Actually, we're just hoping they all marry each other, you know, um, when they turn 40. But these people are my Barnabas. They really are. Early in 2014, Emily and I found out that we were expecting a second child. <laughs> we were thrilled. We started telling everyone, probably a little too soon in our excitement, because at our 12-week ultrasound, there was no heartbeat and no baby. It was something called a molar pregnancy, a massive tissue that had tricked her body into thinking that she was pregnant. And of course, we were devastated. 
As we were still processing this news just a couple of days later, Emily started experiencing tremendous pain. So on March 25th, 2014, her 30th birthday, I had to rush her into the hospital and into an emergency surgery. I actually talked about this last year, but I'm bringing it up again for an important reason. Because it was this group, along with many others, who stood by us, who prayed for us, who encouraged us to get back up again when we didn't feel like it. It was the friendship of Dave and Kevin Holvig, Jeremy Sanoski, Marty, Aaron, Charlie, these guys for me that became my lifeline. It was them saying to me, whatever you need, I'm there. I'm praying for you. I'm battling with you. It was because of them, almost a year later now, I can stand up here and excitedly say that Emily is 25 weeks pregnant with a healthy baby girl. And we couldn't have gotten to this. Yeah, thank you. But to look back and to see where we were a year ago to where we are now, it's because of this group that we're even able to get back up again. As a group, we've been there for each other through failed pregnancies, new babies, adopted babies, marriage pains, struggles with faith and doubt, hitting and spitting kids, and much, much more. In other words, we've been there through life for each other. I don't know where I'd be without their support. Who's your support? Who's there to pick you up when you need some encouragement? Who is your Barnabas? If you haven't joined a small group, maybe that's where you need to start. We try to make it as easy as possible for you to get started. Visit a group's kiosk or go to a group's finder online. But I do want to say about these groups, they're not easy and they take a lot of effort. It's not easy to love and be in relationship with someone and frankly leads to a lot of frustration, but they're always worth it. And I also want to flip this question around and say, are you a Barnabas for someone else? Some of you have the spiritual gift of encouragement. Some of you have been down, way, way down, and you've come out stronger than ever before. And you need to offer someone in your life that encouragement and support that you either received or longed for during your down moments. Everyone in life needs a Barnabas, but everyone can be a Barnabas for someone else. Third and final way to develop a down but not out faith is this. Remember that God can use your greatest down for an even better good. At the end of Acts 14, after preaching the good news in Derby and making many disciples, Paul and Barnabas returned to, Lystra, returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch of Pisidia, where they strengthened the believers. Now, I want you to see how crazy this is. I actually have a map. They start, started in Antioch. They went to Iconium, Lystra, and Derby. And then they went back through each city, where at each city they had been knocked down beat up, and almost killed. As I study this, they could have gone a different route, but they chose to return back through the cities because God had used their greatest knockdowns for an even better good. Because in each city, church communities had been formed. People had been reached, and the message of Jesus had spread. As they visited these cities and churches, Paul and Barnabas encouraged them to continue in their faith reminding them that we must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And people are obviously like, duh, we've seen you get almost beaten up and killed. I mean, and you still believe? I'll follow that guy. I mean, that'll preach. 
And at the very end, they called the church together and reported everything God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles too. See, despite getting knocked down, Paul and Barnabas accomplished their mission. In fact, Paul and Barnabas had reached people because of their struggle. God had used their greatest downs for an even better good. I'm the youngest of three kids. My, my brother Ryan is nine years older than me, and my sister Erin is seven years older than me. So I'm the baby of the family, which is why I've struggled with getting everything I've ever wanted. I mean, does anyone know the pain? It's almost as bad as being an only child. No, really, I, I had two awesome older siblings, but I'm going to talk about Ryan in this case. Ryan was and is an awesome older brother, always coaching, always letting me tag along with him and his friends, always letting me play as the little annoying brother. But when I was eight years old, my brother was 17 years old, and Ryan's girlfriend broke up with him. For many reasons, more than simply a breakup with a girlfriend, this sent Ryan into a tailspin and into the, one of the darkest seasons our family has ever experienced. Because for six months, our family watched as Ryan hit rock bottom and not want to live any longer. It was scary. Ryan would tell you that he was on the brink, less than a 1% chance, not wanting to live any longer. Oh, and I, want, I want to recognize that some of you might be currently experiencing those feelings, or someone you love is. It's a dark place. Or you've lost a loved one to suicide. God was and is close to you. God is close to the brokenhearted. Well, one night as Ryan was sleeping with his family praying for him, tons of people trying to help him, just in a dark place, one night God finally got through to him. Because as he was sleeping that night, he woke up over and over again throughout the night. And each time he woke up, he felt God speaking deep to his soul and his spirit and saying, I love you. Each time he woke up, I love you. I love you. And when he woke up the next morning, he was determined to move away from the brink and get back up again. Through hard work, counseling, and God's saving grace. He did. See, 22 years later now, Ryan is one of the greatest men, husbands, fathers, brothers, friends, leaders, and pastors I know, and pastors a church in the South Metro here in Minnesota. But what if Ryan hadn't gotten back up again? What would it have done to me, that eight-year-old? What would it have done to his life, his family? The, the thousands of people who've been reached for Christ through his life. See, 22 years later, we can look back and recognize how God used that down moment of our life to make him who he is today, but only because he got back up again. See, today, some of you might need to hear this. God is at work in your life. You may feel at your lowest and more down than you ever thought possible. But if you quit now and fail to let God bring something even better out of your greatest down, you'll never be able to return to the city. Like Paul and Barnabas, you'll never be able to return and say, yeah, that was a terrible time, but look what God has done as a result of it. If you let God continue to work, you'll have a faith that endures, that may be down but never out. It's so hard to see now, but God is not absent, distant, or uncaring. 
He's ultimately cheering you on, begging you to get up, refining something in you. So let him help you. You know, today, for some of you, life is good. Don't apologize for that. You're in a good place, but maybe some of you just need to remember the times that God has used those knockdowns in your life to make you who you are today. God has brought you through something to make you stronger. So let it renew your faith the next time you get hit by a rock. Let it strengthen who you are. And today, some of you might need to return to the city. Some of you might need to get back up again and return to the place of your greatest knockdown. Maybe it's time to get back in the dating game again. Maybe it's time to return that phone call. Maybe it's time to chase that dream that God has placed inside your life. Or maybe it's time to renew your faith in and your relationship with Jesus. I don't know what it is, but whoever you are, in order to develop a down but not out faith, expect to get hit by a stone once in a while. But with Christ, you have what it takes to endure it. Find a Barnabas, find a support system, and be that for someone else. And finally, remember that God wants to use your greatest downs for an even better good. See, God's not done with you yet, so get back up again. Across all campuses, let's stand for closing prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for a chance that we get to come to your church and worship in your house, God. Today I pray specifically for the 1%, the people who feel like they are on their last legs, almost out. God, I pray that you would speak to them, that you would rescue them, that you would let them know that they are loved, cared for, God, I pray that you would help them move away from the brink and get back up again. Today, I pray for everyone, everyone in here who needs to develop a down but not out faith. I pray that you would teach us to expect to get knocked down once in a while. But then remind us that we have what it takes in you to endure. Help us to find a support system, an encouraging group of people who can surround us and help us be that for someone else. And then use the times, God, when we get knocked down for an even better good. Give us the patience and the strength and the courage to endure. And we pray all this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for coming. We'll see you next week. If you'd like prayer, we'll have a prayer team down in front. We'll be handing out I found cards as you leave to invite people to Easter. Thanks.